we wanted to make sure we have part of the mandates of the organization is to make sure that we create an environment for women so that we can actually build our network and build our confidence and our ability to recognize who's out there in the cinema world. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with our co-host and colleague, Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. And in this week's episode, we are going to be going over the latest goings on in the theatrical exhibition world, including a new president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners being announced. Rebecca and I are going to go into those details. And in our feature segment, in celebration of International Women's Day, Rebecca Pauly speaks with Mariam El Bacha, the Territory General Manager of VIEW International's Denmark Division. She is also spearheading a very interesting mentorship initiative with the Women in Exhibition Trade Group. You'll find out more details on that program in the feature segment. But first, Rebecca, welcome. Let's start the way we usually do. Did you go to the movies this past weekend? I did. I went out, or rather up, to Queens to the Museum of the Moving Image on Friday and saw Miller's Crossing. It was the first time I'd seen it on the big screen. And you know, sometimes you have that experience where you rewatch a movie and you're like, damn, I remember this movie was good, but like something just clicks the second time around. (laughs) As we'll talk about in a few minutes, Creed 3 did quite well in its opening weekend. I got to assume at least 25, 30 of those tickets for you. No, I did not see it 25 to 30 times. I might by the the end of this month, right? Yet. Exactly. No, I actually really enjoyed that movie. I saw it at a press screening back in early February, so I wasn't part of the opening weekend crowd. We will be going over those numbers shortly because it became the biggest opening weekend for a sports movie of all time. A fantastic figure, but no, I, I didn't go to the movies, but I did get tickets for the movies in about a week from now, there is a special re-release of one of like my most sentimentally favorite movies of the last 10 years, the 10th anniversary of Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers at the Lower Manhattan Alamo. Don't yeah. laugh. Don't oh, laugh. Nostalgia. It is an important it is an important movie for me. It came during a very important transitional period in my own life. 2013 was a big year for me, personally and professionally, and I have uh, an affection for it. I I, I will defend it. That scene with like James Franco and the young ensemble of women wearing ski masks and sweatpants and bikini tops singing uh, Britney Spears every time. That is one of my favorite scenes in film history. That goes like for me, toe to toe with, I don't know, put Tarkovsky up there, put Eisenstein up there, you know, anyone. Anyone up there, Harmony Korine does a great job in it. Back in 2013, did you see it on the big screen or will this be your first time? I did. No, I did. I saw it on opening weekend. It came out March 2013, which is also, I have to mention why this is a big deal for me. March 2013, the same month that I started working at Box Office Pro. So it's 10 years for me on this job. And I think it might have been the first movie I saw at Box Office Pro professionally, like with my byline for this position. Wow. That's crazy. 
Yeah, like I just don't. Years, huh? I just, I just like the fact that we're getting to like Fathom events, Turner Classic Movies anniversary anniversary re releases of movies that I like went to during middle school and high school. I just like, oh no. Well, we're also going to the point where there are now six Scream movies, Rebecca, and one of them, the latest one, is set in New York City. That's Scream 6 coming out this weekend. Let's start with this, because this is probably top of mind for most of our listeners, what the market is going to be doing this weekend. We are coming off of a very, very strong weekend at the box office, a $50 million plus opening weekend domestically for Creed Three. $100 $100 million worldwide in 75 markets. As I mentioned earlier, the highest grossing opening weekend of all time for a sports movie, completely overperforming every single expectations anyone had of this movie. That's going up against the opening weekend of the just recently mentioned Scream 6. It's going to be, I think, an, an interesting battle for the top spot. I do think Scream 6 is going to win out, however. I think right now we're looking at an opening range of between 30 and $40 million opening weekend for Scream 6. And of course, we're expecting Creed 3 to drop. Just how much that drop is going to be, I think, will dictate what that one and two order is going to be at the top of the box office. And there's a potential spoiler in the equation, too. In addition to Scream 6 coming out in theaters in a few days, we also have the kind of sci-fi actioner 65 with Adam Driver versus Dinosaurs. Obviously, a lot of what we discuss on the podcast and just in general in our careers, you know, picking out comps and the comps for this one are kind of hard. It's kind of hard for 65. But I will say there are two genres of Adam Driver movies at this point in his career. By the way, I love him as an actor. I think he's one of the most interesting and compelling leading men in Hollywood today. But his career as of right now is either... Adam Driver sci-fi movies or Adam Driver going through a divorce. And I don't know which version I like better. They're both compelling, but yeah, a 65, it looks like it's going to be the sci-fi one. Right now, between what, 8 and 13 million, it's not going to be a blockbuster. It's also a hard title to sell. If you say 65, I'm not sure a lot of people think movies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a marketing challenge. They've got a star. They've got a genre that kind of works. It just seems like a movie that right now is going to be filling in a counter-programming spot. It's probably going to take over a screen that Avatar drops at this stage in release. Speaking of counter-programmers, aside from Creed 3, which, as you know, really did overperform this last weekend, the number four title at the box office, we've spoken about this before, how anime titles can really fill in those kind of counter-programming slots. From Crunchyroll, Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village, getting 10 million on only 1,774 screens. So that's... Pretty impressive, even with that relatively small screen count, able to get to 10 million, able to get to number four at the box office, 10.1 million domestic opening, 12.3 overseas, so 22.4 total. Not as good as 2021's Demon Slayer Mugen Train, but as you remember, everything just came to make a Jesus ton of money. Yeah, a lot of anime coming out. It's great to see it succeed, but I have to tell you, I'm probably at a grumpy old man stage. What does Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village mean? If I'm making fun of 65 as a difficult-to-sell movie title, I don't know what the sentence Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village communicates with anyone at all, other than people that already like it. And maybe that's the only people 
you have to talk to here, right? Apparently, it's full title. Its full one is Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba to the Swordsmith Village. So, oh man, we have for to what it's worth. lessons for this. Yeah, no, we're struggling with this. But thank you. I mean, number four at the box office on its opening weekend. Really, it's not a protagonism role that anime is taking, but it's very much a contributing complementary role to the box office. It's important to have these movies out there, and it's great to see them, you know, fill out a pretty good weekend at the box office. That momentum continues, as we said, with Scream 6 and 65 next weekend. The week after that, we've got Shazam! Fury of the Gods, and after that, we've got John Wick 4, a a great... And after that... on movies coming out over the summer. Yeah, I think it's going to be a turning point for the industry. And there's a lot of changes ahead that we'll be going into the new segment shortly. But before we do, let's bring up this week's sponsor once again, Jackrow, with their ticketing and point of sale system, Tapos, which can automatically send your customers targeted emails based on their behavior and spending trends, offer drag and drop custom reporting, and can even save you money on your card processing. To find out more, visit www.jacro.com. That's jackro.com. And thank you to our colleagues at Jackro for sponsoring this week's episode, because going into our new segment, wow, is this big news. It's a big one. I know we were we were wondering how this was going to shake out since we heard that John Fithian, the president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners, was retiring. Now, John has been at NATO for 30 years now, and his departure from this position really means a massive shift to how exhibition is run in the United States as we know it. And uh, my first reaction upon hearing the news was to wonder who this man was, to want to know more about him. Michael O'Leary. Daniel, what do we know about this man's background? I think that's a fair question, Rebecca. I think a lot of folks in this industry had not heard of Michael P. O'Leary before he was announced as the next president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners. He begins that role on May 1st, begins a transition period on April 10th in the lead up to CinemaCon. O'Leary, Rebecca, is a veteran in uh, DC lobbying groups. He's also a veteran here of the industry. His worked in a number of different roles in the Department of Justice and Capitol Hill. He was at 21st Century Fox for a while, played a big role at the Motion Picture Association, the MPA, another influential trade group. So it's not someone that's completely out of left field, but I think it's fair to say it's a new name. I think right now a lot of exhibition, not only here in the United States, but around the world, is very curious to find out more. I know our colleagues at NATO, Patrick Corcoran, the VP of Communications, is getting inundated with uh, interview (laughs) requests. And I am confident that we'll be able to get O'Leary here soon. But right now, the burning question, I think, in everyone's minds is who's O'Leary? What is he going to bring to the role? And how much is the NATO that we know going to change under his leadership? And what's this year's CinemaCon going to be like? I mean, it's always a big, exciting event, but I think this just adds another layer of kind of excitement to it. Though I will say, I mean, New NATO president and CEO, that's fine, you know, cool. The real big news, we got some popcorn news last week. Yes, so that's... yes, that's that. I'm surprised we didn't open with that. <laughs> Finally, we're getting the first bit of details about this. We promised you we'd update you. I know we've got among our listeners a lot of the AMC meme stock friends. Welcome. It's always nice to have you guys. But let's go into detail for our ape friends here, Rebecca. Tell us more about AMC's incursion into the retail popcorn world. 
the day before at the Oscars, you will be able to go into select Walmart locations and buy AMC popcorn products there. You have three uh, pre-pop varieties, three microwave varieties. That microwave variety comes with, uh, one of them comes with a thing of extra butter that you can pour on for the true movie theater experience there. Yeah, this is something that's been in the works at AMC for a while. It's something that has really been touted by Adam Aaron, CEO, in calls with investors as to a symbol of AMC's diversification and, you know, the future of AMC. We're not just doing the things uh, that we did before. So yeah, we're, uh, we're going to see a wider launch first of to more Walmarts and eventually getting out of Walmart only, which means we'll be able to have some because we don't really have Walmarts here <laughs> in New York. That's right. Yeah. We're in New York city. No Walmarts around here. We just got target. It feels like three years ago. I think there were like two targets in all of New York city yeah. up until very recently. I know it's trash, but we didn't have, we had like two randomly placed Taco Bells forever. Oh, do not bring Taco Bell up to a Mexican. I I know it's garbage. We've been doing so well as (laughs) co-workers. You're introducing this element into this work relationship. I have noted. Mutual respect. I'm just going to tell you right now, right here. You know what I like? Every type of barbecue that doesn't have this North Carolina vinegar-based barbecue sauce. We're going there. You want to do the food battles? Your barbecue sucks in North Carolina. Sorry, you went there. If you're going to defend Taco Bell... No, I know. I'm just giving you grief, Rebecca. You know, Taco Bell is fine for what it is, okay? It's it's fine. Because every time I f- think of Taco Bell, I think of something bursting out of my stomach. And that leads <laughs> us in perfectly to a new Alien sequel. This is a series, a franchise that we both love, Rebecca. 20th Century Studios just announcing there's a new entry coming out. I have to ask you, is Ridley Scott involved? Is he not? What's going on here with the new Alien movie? Well, it's not directed by Ridley Scott. It's directed by Fede Alvarez, who directed uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web, Don't Breathe, and the 2013 Evil Dead remake, distinct from this year's Evil Dead remake. It is being produced under uh, Ridley Scott's uh, Scott Free banner, of course. Like, I feel the guy, I don't, he's got to be septuplets. Like, they have to be six of them. This level of production that he's putting out, constantly producing and launching new products. But yeah, it looks like uh, we don't really know much about it yet at all. To quote the information we have, a group of young people on a distant world find themselves in a confrontation with the most terrifying life form in the universe, Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, uh, I really liked Alien Covenant. I like it when Ridley Scott, like, swings for the fences and just goes crazy on it. So while I would like to see his sequel to Alien Covenant, yeah, I'm excited to see what Fede Alvarez comes up with. I'll defend Prometheus. I'll defend Alien Covenant. I will. Listen, it's not as good as Alien and Aliens. It's its own thing, but I kind of like where it's gone. I got nothing against it. We've been hammering this point time and time again this entire year. It's great to see legacy titles, new movies, independence, everything coming in to the multiplex, to movie theaters, to really give us that diversity of programming that we've been calling for since the pandemic. You just have to look at those opening weekend numbers of Creed 3 alone. Rebecca, this is a movie that outperformed every expectation, Creed 3, in its opening weekend. And nearly two-thirds of that opening weekend audience came from Black and Latin American moviegoers. I mean, it speaks to 
the power you have in looking at different demographics and giving them content to get excited about. And you know what? Alien has its own fan base of aging nerds like ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> We're important too, but it's just a little bit extra that we can all go out there. We can all get excited about a great bit of momentum here on the industry. And that leads us in to talk about other aspects of the industry to get excited about here on the horizon. Great initiatives coming up. You spoke to one of my favorite people in the industry. Of everyone I've met, Mariam Elbacha's life story as a professional working in movie theaters, they should make a biopic of her. It's really, really interesting. Well, and now she's helping to pay it forward as one of the people spearheading Women in Exhibition's mentorship program. If you listened to us last week, you'll have gotten a little preview of this because we wanted to get some information in while patients were still open. As you know, Daniel, uh, Unique over in Europe has had a women's mentorship program, women mentoring women one-on-one for, I think it's probably five or six years now. So really the idea or the impetus behind this mentorship program is to provide something similar to women in the cinema community, whether they're working for exhibitors, distributors, vendors, suppliers, whoever, to really give that similar opportunity to people in North America, though it's not geographically you know, constrained to that. But yeah, given that we are one day past International Women's Day, I really wanted to be able to shine a spotlight here on this mentorship program as it goes into its second year. And I have to ask before we go into the interview, knowing that Mariam is from Argentina, And knowing that every Argentinian person I've spoken to since the end of November, how many times does she bring up that Argentina won the World Cup? Or is this like the first public interview of an Argentinian person not bringing that up into conversation? Argentina won the World Cup? Okay, good. So it's zero. So I'm glad it's all about mentorship. Let's stick with that. I'm kidding, Mariam. We love you. Now, without any further ado, our interview with Mariam Albacha coming up after this message from our sponsor. This week's feature segment is brought to you by our sponsor, Jack Row, with their ticketing and point-of-sale system, Tapos. Says Mark Williams of Scott Cinemas, we have worked with Tapos for over 25 years using its ticketing and concessions point-of-sale, as well as online booking and card payment facilities. They've helped us navigate an ever-changing landscape and helped us as an independent cinema operator to keep our ticketing modern. We have worked closely with the development and support teams to customize the system to meet our needs, with particular focus in recent years on working towards a cloud-based head office. For more information, visit www.jacro.com. Miriam, it's great to speak to you all the way from over in Denmark. How are you doing? I'm doing great, enjoying the rainy weather. It sounds about like what we've been having here. I don't think anywhere in February is supposed to have good weather. It is the worst month. (laughs) Yes. So I wanted to talk to you about Women in Exhibitions Mentorship Program, which you helped spearhead, which is entering its second cycle. To start off, can you just tell me a little bit about how and when the mentorship program got started? We wanted to make sure we have part of the mandates of the organization is to make sure that we create an environment for women so that we can actually build our network and build our confidence and our ability to recognize who's out there in the cinema world. And we thought that the best way to do it was also to put the people in the different sides of the spectrum together in terms of women that are actually starting in the business and they probably 
are either new to the business or have been working in the in the cinema business for a long time, but they are still feeling stuck or feeling a little bit lost with women that have been actually working and having a fantastic careers and they're re really ready to give back in the same way they have received, right? So we thought, okay, let's put this together and let's start building a mentorship program. Initially with the idea that it was going to be a driven and positions from the US or for the Americas. And as we see, we are able to take people from different parts of the world. The idea of the mentorship program is very similar and I never take credit for this mentorship program. On the contrary, I just, I'm a good copier and I like to uh, acknowledge always the, the work that the unique ladies have been doing, Laura Holgat. She's been working really hard and had been doing this, a similar version of it, the original version of it in Europe. And she has been doing a fantastic work. And I thought that it was time for to do it in the other side of the world, in the U.S., particularly centered in the U.S., but cascading down to different parts of the world because we need some sort of representation, building up the confidence of women. That problematic has always been, continues being, not just in one side of the world, in every, everywhere we go. So the idea was to gather women, put them together throughout a journey of one year. They can actually work their own timetables and their own schedule as they fit. Some, some of the ladies that we have seen so far, some of them meet every week or talk to each other every week. Uh, some of them cannot do that and are only committing themselves to, to meet every two months. So it's really up to the mentee and the relationship that the mentee forms with her mentor on how it is established. We give you some guidelines, but there are guidelines that for you, you can take or... You can navigate, but we are never going to enforce anything upon you. We have a session yesterday and it was really nice to see how connected the mentor and the mentee relationship is, how the, the ladies are able to communicate even when they're not, they have nothing to do with the business, in, beyond the business, beyond the exhibition business, and also how professional they are whenever they probably some of the matches are the mentor and the mentee are in the same line of field that they could be actually competitors, but they are actually able to communicate. You separate, you're not sharing an industry secrets or anything. And behave very professionally about it. So I was like, you know, super impressed and extremely proud of each of the mentors that are actually really engaging and super excited about the program. So I think the most beautiful thing that we could do here is to continue with this mentorship program to make sure that this is the first one and that's definitely not the last one and that this is start with us but definitely doesn't end with us and that it has its own legs and its own work and that we can continue building a network and building a camaraderie and building the support so that we can be more confident and we can be part of the bigger picture. Mentorship is so important, especially I think in this industry, because it can be a little, it can be a little insular sometimes. It's very community based, but that can keep people out if they're trying to get in. The beautiful part of this is that the first group is going to be we're going to continue the communication and the, the networking within the first group. 
if you're a mentee, we want you to be fully committed and we want you to be motivated and super engaged with your mentor. And if you are a mentor, we want you to be able to understand that it will require some time of you and that you also need to acknowledge that and you need to be able to engage with that mentee. This is open to really anyone in the exhibition community, people who work for distributors, exhibitors, vendors. I mean, I, yeah, we had CEOs acting as mentors, and it was really neat hearing some of those mentors talk about how rewarding the process was for them. You know, you are giving up your time for this other person, but to see them grow and develop, it sounds really, uh, really heartening. It is. It was interesting to see two things. The first one was that we didn't have many mentors sign up because it was a new program. We have way many, many more mentors signing up now than last year. But because of the list that um, the selection that the mentees were giving us, the names that the mentee were, mentees were giving us, we basically knock on the door of people and ask them and said, would you mind being a mentor for this person? She requested you to be a mentor. So would you like to be part of it? And out of all the people that we called, None of them said no. So they were all in, excited and engaged. I have mentors this year that are already mentors from last year that they already signed up. So they are also very looking, much looking forward to continue with this uh, journey and to continue engaging with different people, different women from the cinema industry. And the second thing that I also is really beautiful to note is that we had mentees that were very high positions. They were very in, in high positions, in high status. You don't have to be brand new to the industry in order to take advantage of, of this opportunity. But if you feel like you would like to know a little bit more or that you would like to have some sort of open that horizon a little bit, I think that is also a good chance. And, and it's beautiful to see which is always a, a sign of strength, the humility of people that are in high positions, but also they feel that there's still a lot for them to learn. So that was a beautiful journey. And we have these type of mentees today that they're already signing up to become mentors for next year. So it's working the virtuous cycle, it's working its magic. And that was Mariam Albacha speaking with her very own Rebecca Polly. Thank you very much once again for joining us. And thank you to you for listening. And a final thank you to this week's sponsor, Jackro, which provides full-service box office management that has customers singing its praises. We have here a quote from Julie and Jeff Eisentrout of Eisentrout Theatre, who say... Jackrow has expertly responded to the growing digital needs of the industry and developed a product that is both logical and operator-friendly. Their support has always been timely, helpful, and reliable. Perhaps more important are the relationships we've developed. Jackrow's team has always been available when needed and treat us like we're part of the family. That is a quote from Julie and Jeff Eisentrout of Eisentrout Theatre, a Jackrow client. For more information, visit www.jacro, that's J-A-C-R-O, dot com. Final thank you to them, and don't forget to subscribe, rate us, like us, because we're back next weekend with a fresh episode of the Box Office Podcast, which is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company. We'll talk to you again next week. 